I've actually got a couple updates on this one before we get started. First off is I've been putting out episodes a little bit less often lately because I'm winding down. Um, I'm going to hit episode 48 or 50 and then I'm going to take all of December and January off social media and putting out episodes. I'm still going to be recording them. I'm just going to stockpile a couple and get everything kind of just squared away so I can be get on a get on a better schedule putting them out like twice a week, uh, Tuesday, Thursday, just every week. It'll be simpler on my end and they'll be better to know when to expect them. So that's a big thing, and a big reason for that is I have been saving up, and me and Kenzie are going to Kauai for a week uh, in December, so I'm very excited about that. Um, outside of all that, thank you just to everyone who's been listening, my patrons, and everyone who's just been supporting me along this journey. I appreciate it all. Um, I told people that I've had, I'll have merch out soon, and I have ran into just hang up after hang up in trying to get sweatshirts and t-shirts screen printed. So I'm really trying to get it done before I go to Hawaii because I want to take obviously photos there of the merch. But um, if not, then it'll for sure be by January. But I'm going to try my very hardest to have it ship out uh, early December. So lots of love for everyone. And, oh, here's a show with Dang Duong. He is in Kazakhstan right now when he originally drove down from Portland we actually recorded a couple different shows so that while he's over there, I could still put out some out. So here's a show. Well, I got with me today, Dang Duong. You want to introduce yourself, man? Yeah, so my name is Dang, and I'm coming on Tiger's podcast to just talk about a little bit of myself and a little bit about projects, spread some thoughts, sharpen iron with some iron, and just clash with some ideas. I like it. So what have you what have you been up to lately, man? What's uh, what's ahead on your horizon coming up pretty soon? So um, so the U.S. Embassy just got back to me and said, hey, dang, you did a wonderful job during the Fulbright. So I'm basically going to Kazakhstan for another year. So I'm excited because it is basically uh, another chance to impact my kids again, to give them more value and to kind of do things that are going to prototype and experiment and to develop a proof of concept for my next kind of business idea coming back to the United States. Which is what? So it's a kind of a hybrid. Right now it's like more of a broad schematic and um, I want to give you the general idea because right now I'm in the works of developing it. So it is kind of in the scheme of things of personal development, workshop and seminar, um, how to help people find their passion, how to combat fears, and how to just find who you are and be authentically you and be able to share that to the public. Um, so that's kind of the personal development side. You said an interesting thing there. You said fear. And uh, a big thing I brought up on the f- show a couple times actually is the fact that I personally believe that a lot of the decisions we make and things that shape our life are fear-based decisions, like the reasons you pick a stable job or the reason you stay in a relationship you're not supposed to or you don't wear clothes that make you look kind of goofy. Um, you're, you, you know, it's, it's a lot of fear-based decision-making. So I'm curious how fear comes into your day and what you're, what you're trying to do with that. Right. So I think there's a spectrum of different types of fears. Um, people have phobias, right? It's more of a reference point when you're a kid. You're like, wow, it's an amazing spider. But for some reason, everyone's afraid of it. Oh my God, I'm screaming, right? So like you just screaming and you're like, okay, 
I guess in my mind, subconsciously, we're saying, okay, we should be afraid of that. And that is an installment that has built up to this point in life that you have developed phobia. Um, and I like to talk in terms of fear-based actions, like what you said. So are you making a decision based on a time where you only have a short amount of duration to figure out and say, oh, you're going to decide this or you're going to do that? Um, and for me, that's there's a book called Think Fast um, and Think Slow. Thinking Fast and Slow. Yeah, Thinking Fast and Slow. So you have your quick, like primal brain based on fears to make quick decisions. That's not your logical brain. That's your primal systematic kind of system programmed to you to run away from a tiger, right? Yeah. So that's not a great decision maker because in your mindset, run or defend yourself. That's it, right? That's a terrible brain process to find an answer or decide something that's important. So slow, which is your logistical analytical brain where you can actually comprehend and dissect all the difficult information, that is the mindset or the state of mind that you need to be in so that you're able to make quite the best decision. Yeah, I like say. it. But uh, but sometimes thinking quick is necessary. I mean, if you do go to Kazakhstan, I don't know what animals they have there, but you get chased by something, you do need that, you know? Right. Um, so I guess where does bravery come into it? Because I know that's a big part of your message too. Yeah, so bravery is the idea that you know that fear is there. Wherever your definition of fear is, is it fear of public speaking, fear of the unknown? So that's very common, fear of the unknown. People don't like to go somewhere or something that is dangerous. You just don't know what there is to it. And that's being brave, knowing that that fear does exist and you still, for some reason, take one step at a time and walking towards that. And that to me is definitely bravery from heart because you do know the feelings of fear, your hands are sweating, your heart's a pumping, and you're like, What's going to happen? What if, what if, what if, what if? But you still took massive action or micro action towards this goal that you might be fearful of. And that's, to me, bravery. What are some things you're fearful of? And that might be hard to think of on the spot. So. Right. Um, so I know I'm not the only person. And I, I know that there's a lot of people out there that have this type of fear. It is like, like I told you, fear of the unknown. So for me... Pursuing something that doesn't really have a tangible timeline, tangible direction, and all you can do is to have your faith and belief in yourself that you just got to go and stay a course and keep on going until you're able to achieve what you're wanting in life, right? So that is difficult to do. To take a gamble on yourself. Yeah. And your future. Right. But, but those you, are the only ones that pay off. Right. But in you, a meaningful way. Yes. And it also depends on your intentions. What is your state of mind? What is your agenda intentions towards this goal? Is it just for yourself? Is it for if you believe in God or believe in the universe, believe in the greater good of humanity? Is it for somebody? I truly believe that if you do it for somebody, giving it value to someone else, that is the direction that we have to head towards. Because if you have ever given somebody your best, and people say, hey, I love what you did. Like, let's say a public speech. You inspired me. We really saw the authentic self on stage, right? It's not some fake person. But of course, you do need to practice. But 
They want to see you on stage, right? So living that authentic self is also important to your intentions. Where do you think people are being the most ingenuine with showing their authentic self? It's, it comes back from fear. Fear, I love this quote. It's not what I think I am. It's not what you think I am. It's what I think you think I am. That's a pretty good one. Right? So I love that because mm -hmm. it is your idea of what you're thinking about me. And I'm constantly trying to kind of fit that image in your head that I don't have to do. But we have this fear that we have to live up to someone else's standards or our prediction of someone else's standards. So that, again, I see it everywhere. Not just me. A lot of people have that. Right? So why do we dress so nice? Because we think we should dress nice because that's how the community believes us to look like. Right? Why do we have to upkeep ourselves? Why do we have to be, you know, very cordial and polite? Well, those are great. Yeah. Right. <laughs> I'm just talking about in the negative sense. Mm -hmm. Right? So let's say fear of public speaking. Yeah. Why do we fear public speaking? We fear that we're gonna mess up on stage, we're gonna make a fool of ourselves. And we're just going to have a die on panic attack. We think of the extreme when it happens. You have anxiety and panic ever? So, yes, of course. <laughs> like in times where just, just a moment ago, like three days ago, I was so afraid to start a business because I didn't know the tax and legalities of business. Because if I mess up, what happens if I get audited? What does audit mean? Does, does that mean I go to jail? Mean? Yeah. You know, right? So it's those what ifs what ifs what ifs that you always try to catch yourself this is what i try to do i catch myself hey dang you're looping on the what ifs on a negative loop and you got to catch yourself quick because you're going to keep on negative looping you're going to cause more overwhelm and more anxiety overwhelm by definition is the idea that you are trying to do everything and compact it in this tiny moment this moment present moment which You're is like, always but the whole thing is it's always the present moment you know like you can plan for the future and you can slowly shift your life but it's always the present moment you've never lived in the future or the past unless you have a horrible trauma experience and you kind of like loop back to it um but you know we're always in the present and that is the goal is to always change your present to kind of facilitate a life that you want to be living and i'm curious what are some what, so so explain your your thought on loops because you kind of mentioned that um, negative loops, and I know the goal is positive loops. So what is something, what would that shift look like? If someone's caught in a negative loop, how would they shift? Yeah, so definitely in terms of first catching and being aware of those negative loops is the first step. And then having a disruptive pattern, right? Like for me, this is, this is funny, and I could definitely tell you on camera, is let's say I'm on this negative loop and I'm getting overwhelmed. What I love to do is literally dance in my own home like put on some music, like some jam that I really love, right? And just start dancing. You just disrupted that pattern. Now you shifted to something that may be positive to you, but it's something that, that makes you happy, yeah. right? But it has to be that drastic shift, that disruption. They're saying, okay, I can act towards a direction, right? Like being an actor, like method acting towards a positive loop which therefore would lead you towards that positive loop. Well, I'd, I'd say that's where energy comes in. I mean, you see like someone who has infinite energy with all the stuff you've been doing in previous years, but if you've ever been in, uh, I, I call it the glue trap, where it's just the hardest thing in the world to do would be to start dancing in your room, you know? Have you ever been in a place like that where you just have no energy, but you have all the time in the world? 
Yeah, so all the energy and time in the world. No time, no, no. energy, but all the time. Because that's, that, that's the balance. I used to think everything was just time. And then I realized, what is time without energy? Because then you're just laying around all day, you know? So you have to find a good balance between energy and time. If you have too much energy, you don't seem to have enough time. The day goes by and you can't even get done a tenth of the thing you want to do. But you have a bunch of time and no energy, you just waste the whole day. Right. So, so how do you find, how do you get so much energy? Where do, you, where do you derive it from? And is it from meaning? Yeah, so for me, people always say, hey, dang, where do you find this energy? Where do you, like, where is this authentic passionate like energy just flowing it seems like you have infinite amount of energy so for me if i truly reflect on myself this energy really comes from what i am truly passionate about um people always hear people say hey you know if you truly find something that you could tap dance to work it doesn't feel like work it just feels like life and to keep on pursuing and taking that to the next level and this ties into flow the flow of challenging oneself and skill level is almost so close. So your skill is like this, and the challenge is maybe 10% more, and you're always hungry to take it to the next level. Um, so for me, energy really comes down from internally, I am passionately wanting to give value to people. Um, and to me, that's also, I'm playing on a tightrope here, that I have fear. Do I have the right, you know, am I the rightful, person to give value to people the imposter syndrome saying i'm only 20 something years right 23 years old yeah. how can i say i can give you this knowledge but that again i have to find within me that i know that this information should be broadcasted to people so that they can have the attention so that they can change their lives so it's always a little playing on a tightrope between that fear of imposter syndrome and having the passion to just give value i like it so it seems like at some point in recent history you almost woke up and became started living consciously and mindfully and i'm curious did did you were you listening to someone similar to like joe dispenza or tony robbins or something like who who are some people that you look up to that woke you up yeah so definitely um i've told this story to many people is that when i was in high school um of course there was a community there but the feeling of isolation that i wasn't part of a community that was tackling into that negative kind of loop okay per se and then on top of that i was raised by a single mother right so raised by a single mother who has to work and also had to be a full-time mom which sometimes it can damage the relationship because maybe it was just overload of stress and the only person she could vent out to was me so i had to be her stone too so that's two number three is i remember at the time when high school i was maybe a few um, people who were Asian American at my university, uh, not my university, my high school. And I didn't feel like I fit in and people thought I was an outcast because I didn't look like them, didn't eat the same food as them. So there was a lot of that kind of piling up. And then also, like I didn't have a direction. There was no role model. There was no kind of value that I was trying to build up to myself or building character or who I am. And all of that was high school, just welting and building. And it really went to a point where I was like, hey, I see a blade, I see a knife, right? So I'm literally looking at the knife and said, hey, this could just end it. It could be an end all game right here. Um, but I'm just thankful I didn't go to that, um, that, that level. So literally, so I had suicide thoughts and almost attempted. 
right? So that was a very, very difficult time for me. Like, I'm thankful I got to live that and understand that I'm not the only one that lives through that. And that is an anchor for me for wanting to impact people through personal development. What advice would you have to someone who is looking at a blade right now? Right, so I want you, I wanna look at all the cameras right now, <laughs> right? Please consider the family people, consider all the people that love you, that maybe they don't say it, but they show it through actions and you don't realize it. But in this very moment, I hope you find the power within yourself that you do not attempt because life is what you make of it. Every day, even if it's hard, even though you know right now it is not easy, that I wish you find it truly in your heart that you are meant for something. And you will find it through your experience, through your interactions, and through the opportunities that will present yourself when you try to truly find it. So, yeah. I like that. Yeah. But I think when a lot of people answer that question, so I've had a couple of guests answer something similar. People always, if you were put in that headspace and you listen to that, that would be like a gray droning out sound. Like people, people want the, people need something easy. If, if you're in like the lowest place of your life where you're committing, like contemplating suicide, you can't just be like, oh, you know what? Let me look at the bright. Like, it's not just as easy as like, be happy. You know, like did, was your change from that sort of lifestyle to one of an optimist, uh, an immediate thing, or was it like a long-term thing? Did someone come into your life and help you? How did you make that shift, you personally? So personally, I think you have to look within you saying that like, this is truly a problem. So it being is. aware. Yeah. Like this is, I, if I could give you one tip from my life is to be self-aware. Like if I could just give you somehow, like literally from my knowledge and just extract it from my mind and just say, hey, be self-aware. Yeah. Like that's definitely the number one gift that I should give because being self-aware helps you catch a lot of that inner dialogue, a lot of inner things that may not be seen externally. So self-awareness is the number one thing. And having the belief that I need to change, emphasis, bolded, underlined, need, not have, not And sometimes. change is a good thing. Change right. is a good thing. Even though you're in a good place, I'm, I'm sure you still want to change, right. you know? So it's it's also, I think people, when, when they think about change, it's like shifting entirely who you are. But no, I'm talking about elevation. Take yourself to the next level, whoever you are 2.0, right? So for me, I knew that that change was necessary because that was not a great place for me. And from that, I remember I, I've never read books. I hate reading books. I, I I'll like pour it, okay? Uh, and I was like, you know what? I need to read a book. I feel like there's an answer in the book. And I remember I was perusing in Barnes and Noble and I was like, what kind of genres out there to like maybe find a book? And I was just walking and walking, business, finance, cooking. And then boom, you see the word self-development. I'm like, that's a genre? Self-development? And at that time, I remember the, like the best. I was like, you know, what? I'm going to find the best one at that time. And it was Tony Robbins, Awaken the Giant from Within. I like it. Right. So I picked up that book. I bought it. And I was like, man, this book is thick. 400 something pages. I'm like, again, right? I have never read in my life. Like this is like my, probably my one first book that I have intentionally wanting to find information and truly want to get something out of it. And when I read it, I kept on reading. It took me three days. Three days and I finished the book. Wow. Because I said, wow, this man knows what I'm going through and he's giving me exercises, giving me the mindset shift that I needed. And for me, I was, again, I was scared to do the exercise because I was scared to look myself metaphorically in the mirror 
and really be vulnerable and see who I really was. I was too scared to do the exercise, but it really helped motivated me to say I needed to shift to be a better version for myself. So it led me going to university saying, I need help, I need guidance. So looking for mentors. And that was my stepping stone for my second tip. Yeah. <laughs> is to find mentors. Imagine, right, 40 years of a specialty that you're trying to go through, right? Let's say maybe you need help with scholarship. This person has 40 years experience in scholarship. They know all the tips and tricks to help you, guide you, and fast track you to the point where, you know, they know what to look for and help you so you don't have to do the trial and error. How do you reach out to mentors? So this is like, this is as simple as it can be. I remember I was going into microbiology um, as a major and I said, I want to do research. I want to do, be under someone's wing and just learn what to do in a research lab. And I remember I pulled up the directory on the Oregon State microbiology page and I just said, I'm going to find whatever interesting research topics that are out there and the professor associated with that. I wrote down 20, 20 contact information. This was before I went to the university itself. I just said, hey, are you willing to help me learn how to do some research? Let me learn how to do the, the techniques, the pipetting and everything. So out of the 20, I heard two, right? Two's enough. To me, in my eyes, I, I won because I got people at least responding to me. Yeah. And that was considered to be my first mentor, but it wasn't the best mentor in my image, but it helped me say that if you're willing to reach out and to be vulnerable to say, people might say no, but you still asked because you might have a potential to hear yes. So don't be afraid to ask. And are you going to take on mentees of your own someday? Yes. So one of the reason why I also wanted to do the Fulbright in just the Fulbright program is to learn how to teach somebody. And it, it really teaches you patience in ways that could develop skills and techniques and strategies to allow you to be able to mentee somebody. So, yes, um, I do hopefully in the future if like people want to learn from me. Right? Yeah. I'm not trying to purposely say, hey, learn from me. I want the person actively seeking me because they found that I have some value for them. And hopefully I have the time for them to be the mentor. I like it. That's a, such an interesting thing reaching out. Have you ever tried to get in contact with people with larger followings? And it's just tough, you know, um, because... If someone like say who who's if someone like Tony Robbins ever responded to you, one taking one hour of his time to spend helping you would save you ten thousand hours of time, you know, like like in terms of it would get you a following of ten thousand people or some something along those lines, but they just never take the, that time. So would you take that time if you had a following? So let's say for some reason I had a huge following and for some reason Tony Robbins was able to give me the time, I would do so much research. No, you have no following. You have no following. Oh, no following. Time. But you have a huge following and some 22, 23-year-old with no following and still kind of like just figuring out some skills reached out to you. Would you take the time to help someone like that out or do you, do you want people more developed? So to me, I think it requires to see who this person is, yeah. their character, who they are. Are they hungry? Right. Let's just say if a person just said, hey, I'm reaching out to you. 
would like to do a podcast that's about it ah you call right. me out here man that's right. what i do no i'm, no, kidding. I'm kidding no um but like i said it's intentions right it, let's say if you truly wanted to reach out to me and you know what you're looking for and what is your why and i can see it right i can see your attention i can see your proactiveness i can see your intentions your actions and the words that you speak and you live up to those words to me i can see some spark in your eye right you got something like that to me, if I could get a hundred of those, I would be like, wow, thank you. Please give me more of these students yeah. because these are highly motivated. These are people who are hungry to take it to the next level. And those are the people who need to interact and find mentors. And so you found a mate and mentor now, Jason Dorsett, my first guest. What has having a mentor done for you? Yeah. So for me, like I said, I went to him. I proactively seeked out for him. I said, hey, Jason, um, I'm a person who is willing to work that 100% or 110%. I want to give it your all. You know what? I remember when I first went into his office and said, hey, I want to learn leadership. I want to learn. I want to help diversity. I want to do and change the CRC so that all the diversity people can have a comfortable, safe space. He saw something in me, right? But he took a test. Like there was a test that I had to go through 10 really? months, Whoa. 10 months of committed volunteer work for DCE, not a single, I never complained about it. I just did the work day in, day out, whatever I had to learn, people I had to meet. What's DC? Yeah. So diversity, culture, engagement Okay. Um, at Oregon State University. So me being proactive, I knew he didn't give me a job description. There was no job description. He wanted to see me hungry to learn more, to actually engage. So what I did was I tried to meet as many of the members under the diversity and culture engagement branch. There's, there's a lot, it's 250 kids, a lot. And the associate directors, everybody. I went to, anytime I had time, I would go into the cultural resource centers just to say hi, just to see what it's like, what their events are like, what their meetings are like, um, and then having meetings with Jason, just talking and listening to him and understanding more of the bigger picture of diversity and culture engagement. So when you, if I'm looking from Jason's lens, if a person's that proactive and he's hungry enough to do that much work to be part of this family, then it makes sense. This is a good fit. And I remember it was after that 10 months, uh, I, was, I was doing an internship uh, in Malaysia and oh actually no not an internship but actually charity work in malaysia and i came back he said hey dang i got i got a position for you i just don't know what it's what what the the name of the position is but basically you're my right hand man wow yeah so i worked my ass off of it and you know for anybody who who i i remember there was a lot of people who wanted that position like to be jason's right hand man but None of those people actually put in the work to be bequeathed of this kind of position, per se. Um, but I think you just have to put in the work. You got to take the action. And what's it all for, I might ask? Like, what's at the end of your tunnel, you know? Like, like you, at you're, the you're, end of life, at the end yeah, of... Yeah, you're on your deathbed and you're like, man, that was a lot of work. Do you... Do you I guess my belief is that, you know, you, you have some ideas on inner monologue or your inner thoughts, which I'm curious about um, in a minute. And so my personal beliefs would be that we all share 
the same inner monologue. And at the end of your life, it's almost like a momentum thing. It's, it's not like a, uh, it's cut off. Like I believe your momentum kind of keeps going. Um, so I'm curious what your beliefs would be for why are you doing it all? Yeah. So yeah, the big why question, right? Yeah. <laughs> why you got to do, right? So I, so my two favorite words are why and how. So why gives you purpose and why gives you, you know, if those days where you just don't want to work, but you still have to do it. So my why is I have a mission statement. I I'd love to hear it. Three, three months to create this mission <laughs> statement and it's to optimize the human potential, mind, body, and spirit. I like it. Right. So what that really means is for me to find any kind of information, any kind of values that I see from experts or learning from books that if I can provide this knowledge and actually impact people to either shift towards a better mentality, shift towards better habits, shift towards a change where they're moving towards what they dream of, that to me is my why. Giving success to other people. And for me, being a person who loves acquiring knowledge, I love giving it to other people too. Um, and that, at the end of the day, if I could scale that, you know, as big as I can, that, that'll be the dream. Yeah. Um, and for me, no matter how much you give, I love, there's a, there's a mentor that I kind of look up to is that you got to live the good life too. So having a balance. So even though you're giving so much value to people, you got to understand that you also have to optimize your own personal health, your own personal relationships with people, your friends, family. Um, and to understand that, that's not only that direction. So if you can optimize your own personal relationships and your own personal health, then you're that much better optimized as a human to serve and give to others with a purpose. Okay, I like it. My, my mission statement would be uh, working toward creating a world where, energy, where value is held in the time and energy of its people. Because currently what makes it a system that people aren't really in touch and don't have good mind, body, spirit connection is because value is held in the productivity and at the expense of the time and energy of its people. Most people have to go give the eight best hours of their day and the majority of their energy working toward a machine that bombs the places that you're going and trying to help, you know? So it almost makes it hard. Do you think you could work a 40 hour a week job to pay into that machine? No. So it's, it's tough when I call it the matrix. I, I just <laughs> love it. It's like, if I was, if I could be the person that just unplugs you and be like, whoa, this is what life is like, I wish I could be that person. And uh, it's not wish, I'm really working towards that. Because look, if you were to really question where the nine to five, like historically where that came from, it was literally, come on, it was an assembly job that says, hey, we can't overwork our workers. Let's make it nine to five. Well, they wanted to overwork it. It's it's uh, union strikes in like the 40s and stuff came out and said, hey, we will not work more than 40 hours a week and we need a minimum wage. The corporations totally were to work people 60 hours a week, you know? Right. It's it's pretty messed up, especially because the machine that like if, if, if we we're working toward a machine, I totally believe that people should pay into the system that's supporting their roads and their electricity by working. But 40 hours a week toward a machine that's like there's all these these closed loop jobs like people um, develop and create something called Lipitor, which helps with cholesterol, which is useless. It's not good. And then the acute symptom of that is uh, impotence. And then the same company also has Viagra. And so it's like these closed loop things where it's like all of those people's jobs and what they're paying in toward is shit that makes people less healthy. And it's not good. I think everyone should just work toward helping others 
helping themselves first though. Like, were you at a place where you helped yourself and what did that look like to get to a place where you could help others? So I, I, I would love to put this out to your audience too. Like if you were to look back, right? So not look back, I guess, go back to when you're 15 or when you were young, what advice would you give from your current self to ask your younger version of yourself? What would you say, hey, do this more or move this towards this direction or say what mentality that you want to give? And to go back, like I would just say, learn about yourself, like take personality tests, look, learn from other people, from, you know, feedbacks from third person to say, who are you as a human being? Like, I don't think and a lot of people can answer, who am I? Right. That's a tough question. Right? Who, are, who are you? How would you answer it? So for me, like I'm a person who is a son of a single mother, a person who's passionate to the word Kanai, constant and never ending improvement. I'm a person who truly wants to live by his words. So if I speak it, I want to live it. I want to have a person. I'm a person who lives by a standard. Uh, no matter what that standard is, it's to my own personal standard. I'm a person who really tries, if I can, to live authentically myself. And that is my mission and always my goal towards that. Um, my, you know, another who am I is that I want to impact with my voice, with my actions, and with my heart. So that's a few, right? It's, it's I'm a, who am I is a long, it's like if you could write a book, it'll be like a who am I book. What I really like most about how you started going at it is most people would start by immediately um, labeling themselves. I'm a white, straight, male, not like my religion isn't, you know, any specific uh, sect. But, uh, and I think those pe those ways of describing yourself are actually detrimental to getting to a place where you describe yourself by the work you're trying to do and the way you're, you're trying to impact the world. Um, and you're probably one of the only guests so far that's answered that that way. So I'm curious how you got to that place. Cause that's not easy to get to, to realize like you're just a piece of the puzzle. You know, you're not you're not the whole puzzle. You're like an ant in the colony. And you're just say, hey, I want to make sure this ant, I want to make sure everyone's happy and healthy and free, happy and healthy and wealthy. Because right. the only really way that we have any say over our freedom is financial freedom. So I don't know. Right. So this, is, this took a lot of time and a lot of reflection to understand that I love this quote. It's, it's, it's the simple things in life that are hard to live by. So, for example, you know, just trust. Just breathe. Right. Trust. Right, like trust. And to just be in peace of mind, right? So those are very simple, simple words. But can you live by those words? And that's very tough, right? And that's why I always, you know, it's that cliche saying, actions speak louder than words. Because actions do take a lot more thought and willpower sometimes when you're still in that working phase, that conscious phase, not unconscious yet, right? So it takes time. But I do believe, and I'm an optimist, that if you do things habitually, right, making it almost a daily habit, your thoughts, your actions, your words, how you present yourself, um, to what you live by, what values you hold, the actions that you do habitually, that, when you do repetitively, becomes your identity, right? So... One I want to answer that is developing that. It's the simplicities which are values. 
right? It's, it's very core. Anything that you hear and you think, oh, that's just a banal platitude, something I've heard a million times and you ignore, those are the most important things to pay attention to. <laughs> it's, when it's, it's, uh, <laughs> it really, it really saddens me because like those truly are, if you really look like in a religious sense to people who are personal development, to people who've been preaching about this for so long, they were basically preaching the same exact things, mm -hmm. but just spin it to this time, you know, period, right? So, but again, not a lot of people are doing it for yeah. some reason because it's tough, right? But I do believe the only thing that can change is how you can change yourself. It's not how the environment is going to influence you. It comes from within. Yeah. It truly does. And so what does your inner monologue look like? Is it loud? Is it quiet? Is it quick? Is it slow? Do you meditate? Yeah. So, so for me, I, if I remember when I was again young, like in elementary, middle school, you high remember school. that? Yeah. Still, there's yeah. If you, so the beautiful thing about memory yeah. is if you have an emotion attached to this memory, it almost just stick like a movie in your mind. Like right. a, a bad gift, like you get like four frames, pretty much. Well, it depends, right? If it's a it's a good emotion, yeah, it still sticks because it was emotion attached. But if it's a negative, like it was a trauma, right? PTSD traumas, right? So that did you ever experience sticks. trauma? So no, I'm I'm just thankful enough not to experience something um, traumatic in my life. But again, I guess it depends on people's definition perception of that memory. Yeah. Um, to me, I've learned to see all the mistakes, all my failures, all my the, the negativities as a learning lesson. Every single one of them. Even with the, the negative loops I had in high school, it was a period that I know that I know I'm not the only one experiencing this. And I know that I'm able to use this weakness as a strength to be a voice, to be a role model, to show that people that it is possible, um, like for me as a minority person from, you know, low economic status. If you look at the world, though, you're not a minority. If anything, you're a majority. Right. So in terms of a standard definition. It, right. Here in the United States, in these yes. imaginary borders. Right. People believe that. Do you, you get know, treated like one? Treat which one? Do you get treated like a minority? Like the stigma that of how, what it's like to be a minority. Do you think any of that's accurate? Because I obviously have never experienced it. Right. Yeah, so for me, I think I'm, I guess, I guess high school and middle school, right? So I said I was an outcast. Yeah. Right. So I do feel like that also helped me, right? Being an outcast, that I think people need to understand that you should be unique. You should be quirky. You should be like I told you, live authentically yourself. Because look, if you're part of the the mob, part of the the people, you're gonna be like this. I'm gonna use this analogy: sheep, right? Sheep just follows the shepherd. Right? Just if the shepherd said, do this, please go this direction. Uh, go eat. This is the time frame you eat. Right. So I love people who just like just goes out in the box and say, hey, screw this. I'm just going to do this because I love it. And I just love being me. Like I like am inspired by those people. Seriously motivated because like, wow, you're truly living you like you don't give anything right to people's perceptions or critics because I love a quote, and I wish I could pull it up. It's called Man in the Arena by Teddy Roosevelt. Okay. Because no matter the critics, no matter who's speaking on the on the stages, you're the man in the arena, or yeah. you're the woman in the arena, right? So if you're in the arena, then you shouldn't give 
two curse words about those people yeah. <laughs> on stage. Um, to break that down a little bit, so you always hear people say live authentically. And my take on it is more of if you're being your genuine, if you're just, I mean, as truthful to yourself as you can, most people don't know actually about themselves until you start conversing with people or writing it down. But if you're trying your best to actually just be genuine and like dress like whatever the hell you want, you'll attract people who are genuinely attracted to being yourself. And then it's easier to upkeep what you are because it takes no effort. It's when you're being someone who you're not, you're living inauthentically, you have to upkeep that every time you go into public. You have to dress ways that you weren't. You have to keep these these false ideas upkept or else the people that you surround yourself by will no longer like, hey, you've changed a lot lately. Dang, what's 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 up with that? You okay, man? But if you're just like, I don't cuss and care, you know, I'm just whatever. You really start building more community and you almost like family members just with everyone you speak to because they resonate with that. And then slowly they start being more genuine when they're with you, you know? I think that is one of the biggest causes of the epidemic that's currently plaguing people is just people are just want to be liked so bad that they'll put up a front you know and i'm curious is that what it's like in other countries or is it specifically here so just just coming back for myself is that when i've noticed that you you start hearing words and this is again being software and caching these right so you say oh like this is not what you know i should do because this scenario is not meant for this so, for example, I remember um, that I was going about and I had a friend and we were on the max. And I remember everyone was just quiet, just sitting about doing their own business. I was like, hey, wouldn't it be a good idea just to go out there and just say, hi, my name is, and just start talking with the strangers? And my friend's like, no, 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 that's, that's, that's not what we should do. I'm like, who said that? I, I truly asked. That. I was like, who, who, who created this rule? He's like, society. I'm like, okay, society did, but... Did they say, if you broke this rule, you're going to go to jail? No. So that's what I did. I walked up to a stranger, said, hi, my name is, and I had a beautiful talk. Just knowing where he grew up. And I remember he was living in the streets. He was struggling. He was a uh, surviving artist. He was playing guitar. And I just loved that because for me, just going out there and seeing who's out there and their story, that also was a piece to me because I said, I'm curious about people and I want to be authentic by doing that. And even though it's against protocol or the the community's rule, that I should still do it, right? So going about coming back to you, do you see this in other different countries? Yes. So in Kazakhstan, I remember um, it was a very traditional setting for lectures. So when you teach in the classroom, all the students can do is nod and listen. You couldn't ask questions. That's and, a dangerous thing. Right, right? I'm like, it took me three months. I remember it took me three months to really like say, hey, it's comfortable, it's okay. You can ask questions. I could be wrong. We could talk, we could discuss, right? So I think it's important to have that very comfortable, safe space where you're able to speak right because you need to communicate and you know if you truly don't know something and sometimes i am wrong and if you have the humility to do so then you should say i'm gonna take the accountability and say yeah i really don't know right and some people because they have a ego they would say no i am right totally right and they know do you think you don't have an ego 
No, so I do. I remember when I was in high school, I had I was the person say, "Man, I knew all math. I knew everything." And as you start learning, reading, and learning about yourself, man, I was like, "Wow, that was a that was not that shouldn't be me." You just learn that you don't know sh- anything. Yeah. No. The more you know, the more you less know. Yeah. I'm gonna tell you that straight up. Like, let's say if you learned so much. Like for me, I love self development books after Tony Robbins and all the likes of that. Like I can understand this, but if you told me Python, C++, anything computer science based, command, no, I don't know any of that, right? So just think about how many different types of knowledge and different professions and different variants that you slowly believe and you start understanding that you need a tribe, you need a team to work things out. You shouldn't, I learned this the hard way. You only got 24 hours in a day, man. You truly only have 24 hours. Really 16. Right. Because you sleep, right? Yeah. <laughs> and ruminate. Like, why? Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. So, you only got so much time. And it depends on what you prioritize in that time. That if you're specializing, let's say, again, personal development, then that should be in your lens. Go with your strength. Are you building a team? And if so, anyone who's listening to this, could they reach out? What, are, what kind of people are you looking for on your team? Yeah. So, right now, I'm looking for anybody who... It has a knack for videography, cinematics, and anybody who is really tapping into creativity. So for me, I really want to do something that I could provide wisdom, right? If I could provide the script and the idea and the concept, I, I wish I had like a, a director and a producer that could bring my words into visual reality, right? Bringing that to, you know, the viewers, because at the end of the day, I want to really have this information stick, the reason why I kept saying that these information keeps on being regurgitated every single time frame is that maybe it's not sticking enough. So to me, like I told you, memory sticks with the emotions. So how can I bringing the cinematic of a movie, right, building that roller coaster of emotions and attaching that content of wisdom and applying it into a digital storytelling kind of platform? Right. So anybody who has a knack for also social media platforms. Um, so how can they get in touch with you first? Oh, how to get in touch with me. You can. Um, do you have show notes or uh, maybe just, just, <laughs> just um, I'll, I'll put them in the link. But all right. Um, just to get a little meta here, I'm probably going to put this talk out in nine months. We're probably going to work backwards. This will be one that I'll put out um, two times from now. And then the next talk we do with video will be the one that I put out three months from now. And then the last talk we do today where we discuss your personal life, like really intimate. And that might not be with camera because I only have enough SD cards for two uh, video talks. That will be the, the one that I put out today or tomorrow. Okay. Um, but, but I'll put those show notes here. Like if you want to get in contact with you, email or do you right. want to shout out your social medias? Yeah. So definitely at dang that life though. Uh, right now is my Instagram. Um, so it's literally spelled. There's no weird words. It's just <laughs> dang that life though. Cool. Um, T-H-O? Um, yeah, T-H-O. Okay, cool. Um, so that's my Instagram. Um, for my business email, it's dang, so D-A-N-G-D-D-E-E-296 at gmail.com. Cool. So, um, yeah. And I'll have you write that down. I will yeah. put in the show notes of all three of those. Because, um, I mean, I'm, some, I'm sure some people will get, in, like, will be listening to this, get inspired, and be like, right. I want to help. That's what it all kind of comes down to. Um, I kind of realized that halfway through talking to thomas or one of the people recently i'm like at the bottom of all of psychology and philosophy and everything is it feels good to do good and it feels bad to do bad you know 
Um, and he, listening to someone like you who is actively doing good, traveling the world, living a pretty exciting life, doing good, you probably feel good about it. So, which brings us to the interesting topic, big word, happiness. Right. And what are your thoughts on happiness, the current epidemic that is everyone trying to anesthetize themselves because they're unhappy? What do you think are some solutions for that? Yeah, so I think for me, even though, you know, people might see, see I told you, in, internal and external, right? External, people might see this positive, optimistic dang who's like motivated and he's like, wow, he got all this energy. Uh, but you also have to look internally. Um, so for me, I do try my best to seek for happiness and look for those memory kind of storages that I knew in those moments. I want to recreate or repeat it as much as I could to recreate those happiness. And I do think and I do believe for myself that happiness are the little things in life. Like it's literally having, let's say, a let's say you love talking one-on-one for me i love one-on-ones like because i love exchanging thoughts and i love kind of picking people's mind and just discuss with ideas like that's to me that's happy and i i could resonate with that um like for me just blasting some amazing music that i love and just start dancing like not caring what people think and just start dancing like to me that's makes me happy uh so it's the little things in life that you need to pick up and either track it or measure it or to write it down and said, wow, on a scale of one to 10, for some reason today, this thing I did, X, made me happy. And you should recreate it somehow more and more and more and more. Like if you, if you love, let's say, um, singing music, and that for some reason um, makes you so happy, can you somehow integrate that? Even though it's not your job or not your profession, how can you integrate that more? Is it having jam sessions with your coworkers? Is it going to a live performance? What is it that makes you have those happiness moments more occurring? Um, so for me, I love being in my thoughts of creativity. If I could be like wandering the cabin in the woods in the forest and just having a pen and paper and just writing down all my creative ideas and just blast it on full steam, I would do that too. Like it's great. Um, and I love creating. Like I love seeing storytelling and seeing people's reactions i'm a people watcher like i love like i've learned body language enough so i could just say hmm what would this be right what would be that prediction like what was going to happen and to me I, i love seeing people's reactions because we're social creatures and that's body language body language is a universal language to understand people and and understand when they're not speaking and you understand there's a problem or if they need something like that to me is also happiness, right? So happiness is in the person's perceptions and definitions. And it's hard because everyone has their own unique happiness. They really do. Um, which kind of brings it to energy. Do you believe energy is real? Yeah. So um, if you, I forgot what the three different type of things that Tesla, Nikola Tesla says, right? Wavelength, frequency, and energy, I think. Those are the three. If you really want to see the answers, you look through those lines. Um, and it's very interesting. So for me, I've done this experiment um, for me teaching my English speaking club students. So in Kazakhstan, in Kazakhstan, yeah. This is like six p.m. to eight p.m. This is when they have gone through their whole day. They've had all their courses, and they're at their lowest energy level, right? 
Me too. I'm okay. at my highest energy at eight. It seems like I don't even wake up till I'm supposed to go to bed. You right. Know? So that's awesome. It's a chronal, your chronotype. That's not awesome. That's awful. <laughs> It'd be nice <laughs> if I could just wake up, you know. Right. But it's, it's chronotype too, right? Um, just, what, do you, what does that mean? Chronotype is just like, what is your circadian rhythm? Mm. So what is your best optimal time to perform? Okay. Um, I perf- interrupted your story. There, no, <laughs> you're definitely fine. It's um, for me, if you read the book, it's by Michael Brewis, B-R-E-U-S. Um, he tells you in terms of different animals, uh, what type of time frame you are. Um, so I'm a bear. Bears are basically when there's daylight. They sleep for three months. <laughs> right. And hibernating in the, in the winter and eating a lot of food to build up fat. That'd be funny. <laughs> no, but you see so you're a bear. Yeah. So a bear is basically during the day, that's when you function the best. So when the light starts hitting, no matter somehow your body is reacted to that light, you're, you're up. You, let's perform. Excuse me. But yeah, so that's that's a bear. And there's there's people who um who are dolphins. Dolphins I I know, right? This, okay. like, this, so there's dolphins, there's bears. Owls are um, so this like it'll be wolves. He changed wolf. it into okay. wolves. And uh lions. Lions are early risers. So they're early bird, right? So that's the lions, super early. What are dolphins? Dolphins are the insomniacs. They don't they're have in the middle of the night. And so wolves are later at night. So no, like so dolphins don't really particularly have a circadian. It's out of whack. So mm. you have to purposely set up a routine so that you're able to align. So it's that dolphins are a little tough, um, but a lot a percentage of people are bears. Do you ever find it hard to fall asleep though? So, so in terms of that, you need to create a routine. So sleep hygiene. So everyone knows that, but no one can do it. You actually have a sleep routine. Yeah. So I, I what I do is you got to cool down your body. So what I do is if I want to cool down the room, I open the window because right now, Oregon, during the night, it's pretty cool. Um, I take a cold shower and just sleep as minimal clothes as possible. So just my boxers and just go to sleep sleep naked. What? Why don't you sleep naked? Uh, You know what? For me, it's just out of my comfort zone. Um, I still live with my mom and comfort zone wise, not really cool for now. so funny. If you lived on your own, would you? Yeah, for sure. Okay. No, (laughs) for sure. No. No. Yeah, for sure. Wow. Okay, that's very yeah. See, like I, what I what I told you, right? Societal rules, right? Yeah. It almost it almost creates this uncomfortable feeling within you, and that's a perfect example right there, right? Um, so yeah, that and I'm slowly trying to do more sleep hygiene. So that's a basic sleep hygiene. Um, I'm trying to do more. So the, using um, aromatherapy, so lavender, with a purifier and turning that on. Um, I'm kind of messing with some magnetic fields. So using that as a like sleeping. sleeping with your head facing north or what do you mean? No, no, not 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 like feng shui, but um, using um, I don't know how to describe it. Put magnets in your pillows. It's so you, I don't know the concept of grounding. You know, oh yeah, your, yeah, yeah, right, absolutely, right. So think about that times one hundred. Right? So do you have like a mag like a yeah, wire going like a from outside to your bed? Yeah, so it's like almost a electromagnetic um, pulser mm-hmm. that kind of kind of surges through your bed so you kind of stick it on your headrest how much and did it your cost bed. or was it um i think at that time i don't remember i don't know it was it was a, it was a long time ago a lot or a little i think it was a lot That's okay so it might not be something that everyone can no do. no yeah i i like for me aim to do the simple first okay. because simple works mm-hmm. so shutting the lights off making it pure black um having sleep hygiene so having cotton um, mattress. Even with all that, 
do you ever get so like almost like a, a manic phase where you're just like so excited, like really good news happens and you just want to make all the, the dreams that are happening in your future happen right, right now. Right. And like you're too wound up to go to sleep. Right. So that's why you have to wound, wound down. Yeah. So you, yeah, it's, I've had those. I'm a person who like, if I could see a vision, <laughs> yeah. like if I envision it, then I'm like, oh my God, I'm so excited. Tomorrow's the day. I got to do it. Yeah. And you got like, shoot, I only got an hour of sleep. Oh, rough. So um, I had this experience. So I was climbing the tallest mountain in, uh, in Malaysia. It was in East Malaysia. I think it was Mount Kilabalu. Yeah. Kilabalu. Kinu. Yeah. Kinobalu. It's about 4,200 meters. I don't know what that is in feet. Um, but I remember we. I walked from the 15, bottom. 15,000 feet? Five, sure. three miles? <laughs> Maybe. I'm not sure. Okay. Okay. Uh, 4,200 meters. Um, and from the bottom, I remember we went all the way to base camp, which was 3,600 meters. And I remember our tour guide saying, hey, we're going to wake up around 1 or 2 a.m. And we're going to climb the rest on the top to the summit at sunrise so you catch the sunrise and i remember we arrived like around 8 p.m 9 p.m and we were eating our food settling down with our crew and when we were winding down and sleeping in my mind i was like i'm like man i want i want to do it now right now let's go and my legs are on fire my thighs are burning because i i've never done like a mountain like mountain climb for that long and it was like six hours up to the um base camp so my legs were literally on fire i was rolling it however i could my calves and everything was just burning but i was like so excited and i saw the clock it was 1 or 2 a.m and i just remember i just slept maybe 30 minutes holy cow right so remember six hours of of climbing yeah with 30 minutes of rest and now you're going up for another i don't know 800 meters right but it's still inclined and you're climbing so when you're closer from the base camp to the summit, you actually hold on ropes and you're literally having to like pull yourself up was because it, it's that the sunset, Was the sunrise worth it? Oh, it was, it was definitely worth it. Your picture? I, I have, I have <laughs> it. No, I have it. Like it's not with me. Yeah. No, it's not on your social media or anything. No, no, no. Um, put it up there sometime. Yeah, I'll definitely put okay. it up. Um, I'm I guess good. you have six months or nine months to do it. But. Yeah. <laughs> and then what, what is it? Um, so I remember... When we were doing that night, so it was 1, 1 a.m., 2 a.m., and all you see was everyone's headlamps. It was just the lights of everybody's headlamp, and it's a guiding line towards wow. you where. So, Because we were kind of like in the back. We were one of the last teams to kind of start because everyone woke up late. And I remember just a trail of lights. I was just scared. I was looking at the very front person, and all he could see, like, I can't imagine. It was just pitch black. Because it was literally night, like pitch black. You can't see nothing. There's no lamps, no lights, just our headlamps. Yeah. So you could have, you couldn't even see the cliffs. Like, oh if my you, God. You're just holding on to that rope right. and just fall on the next person. Right. You want to look forward and you want to lean forward because you don't want to look back because looking back seems a little scary. Oh my God. Front person falls and just tumbles. <laughs> right. Oh my God. So it, it was a lot of teamwork and I love my team. My team, we had different people, people who climb like uh, Kilimanjaro and like base camp Everest. And then we got newbies like me. And I remember two German couples and oh man. We were kind of scared, but we we're kind of excited because we had no experience and this was like our first one. So it was all excitement and nervous, but I remember the struggle too. Like people think that, oh, climbing a mountain seems amazing. Man, the day in, every minute, it sucked. Like I'm saying, why am I doing this? I paid, I don't know how much I paid. I was like $500 Whoa. 
to climb this, right? Yeah. Um, but for me, I had a purpose. So you need a purpose going in. What It'll was be, the purpose? So the purpose was less. I need a literal, right? A literal reference of working towards a goal, right? So my goal was 4,200 meters, right? From the bottom. And I was already suffering at 1,000. Like, because yeah. you have altitude sickness because you're walking up and climbing. Um, and then you're like, your legs are burning because you haven't worked out. Did you get into a flow head state where you're almost out of your mind? Yeah, so it's... Outside it, your mind? I think there's a point where it just says you just keep on going so that your legs are moving on their own and you're not thinking about it. And so this this is one thing I've learned while I was doing running. And when you're at that moment where you said, I can't do it anymore, that's an internal dialogue holding you back because yep. you can go further. But you just need to shut that part of your brain and focus and keep on going. My legs, excuse me, were still basically moving. Like my mind was so tired, it couldn't think. So all I did was just walk. And I remember when I laid on the bed, all the all the soreness and pain right then and there. Because I had so much endorphins in that runner high kind of mentality that I didn't even feel it because it was just numbed. Yeah. And I was just in that flow state and just keep on going. It's crazy what you can do subconsciously. But if you're consciously doing it all, yeah. your body just wants to quit early. You, you, I don't know. It's almost, That's not a fear-based decision. That's just a limit that you self-impose. You yeah. say, hey, man, you can't do this. But you can't. And it really kind of shows you how it builds like a mental muscle when you break through barriers that you self-impose. Right. So like imagine like um, people have a reference point, right? Um Maybe we'll talk about this later, but I did a 160-hour, so one week, dry fast. That's cool. Right. So we'll talk about it later, but... Dry fast, not even water. No water. Whoa. No water, that no food. That makes it way more intense. Yeah. And yeah, I'll, I'll tell you later. We'll talk about it in a different part. Well, yeah. I guess, because we just did an hour, so we'll probably shut this one off soon and do another one. So when we talk about it, it'll probably be in the past. So if you want to hear about his dry fast, listen to his his most previous appearance which was probably four months ago okay <laughs> anyways do you want to call it and we'll just do another one we'll start another one up right here yeah cool do you have any closing thoughts um this will be in nine in eight months from now so try to eight months from now. you know it's gonna be hard just be like hey i'm in kazakhstan right now <laughs> right so yeah so closing thoughts is you know if you're if you can see my passion where my direction is and if you think your vision or you think your skills align with what my vision is, hey, just hit me up with the message. You never know what happens because, hey, magic happens when people with the right resonance, right connection, and right moment of time just somehow clicks. So reach out to me. I'll put his, uh, in case you didn't write it down, I'll put his email in the description. All right, take care, everyone.